We're talking about holiness and righteousness, and we've uh, stepped into um, what is often referred to as the greatest commandment. And last week, we are learning that there's potential barriers that block our movement towards holiness. We can develop idols in our hearts that will keep us from seeking and loving God with all of our hearts. And here's the funny thing about idols. They have a, we have a tendency in our minds to think of an idol as something really bad. Really bad. But did you know that probably 80% of the idols we have in our lives are something that's really good? Most of the idols in our lives are something that's really good. And, and what it does is it stops being a blessing when we expect that thing or that person to satisfy our deepest needs and hopes. And the idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek uh, to give you what God can only give. If anything becomes more fundamental than God to your happiness, meaning in life and identity, then it's an idol. Here's what I've learned in my life and from the conversations I've had to, with other people. And it, and it mostly comes from people who have kind of lost an interest or a passion in Christ in, in, or in the Word. They come in and they're asking a question about what happened? How come I don't, how come I don't sense the presence of God? How come I'm not as near and close to God as I used to be. What is it that, that's happened in my life that, that's made me lose an interest of really deep spiritual things? And so when you have self-examination and you have a trusted friend who loves you enough to tell you the truth, they can be helpful in identifying idols in your heart. And I've learned this, that... Whatever I think will provide more money, more happiness, more security for my family, more opportunities in my life, more you fill in the blank, that thing has become a small g God in my life. And it does not belong there. God is simply calling for your deepest heart's affection. And when you actually set your mind on God and seek Him with all your heart, you'll be amazed at how God brings out things in your life. That is why Jesus says we're to love God with all of our heart. By the way, I'm just telling you, like, okay, you know, I know who that sermon, last, that sermon that I preached last week, I know who it was primarily for. And I normally don't name that person because I don't want them to feel like I'm picking on them, but it was me. Me and Jesus, we had some long conversations since Sunday. Not, not, not the week before when I was prepping, after I preached the message. We had some wrestling matches. Or for you folks from the South, wrestling. And I got to tell you, I didn't win. Great job. Yeah, Amen. <laughs> Guess what I got to do? 
I got to rip that idol out by the roots, and I'm going to tell you something. It's pretty painful. It's not easy. It takes a lot of work because that idol keeps calling back, keeps calling your name. It says, come back. Come back and worship me. Come and give me your time. Come and give me your money. Come and give me everything that you have. Don't give it to God. Give it to me. Keeps calling my name. Keeps calling my name. Keeps coming back. And in those moments, that's when I'm calling out to God. And I'm going like, God, I don't want to go back. I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want that idol in my life. Crush it. Kill it. Destroy it. I want nothing to do with it. And it's not something that happened in one hour of one day. I'm telling you, it happened on Sunday afternoon All day Monday, all day Tuesday, all day Wednesday, all day Thursday, all day Friday. And finally there was a breakthrough yesterday at about 2 o'clock while I was sitting in my office. The Spirit of God came to me and He rescued me from the thing that was trying to call me back into slavery. That's what an idol does. And, And the victory isn't mine, it belongs to Jesus. And why is that so important for you to know? Because you need to know that I have struggles. I'm nobody different than you are. The only reason why I'm standing up here is because God has put a call on my life to stand in the gap and to bring His Word through my life into your life so that you hear what the Spirit of God has to say. And it would be a really sad day if I stood here and pointed my finger at you acting as if there's nothing wrong with me because there's a whole heap and lot wrong with me and Jesus is in the business of fixing me. So I'm thankful for that. And so I got to enjoy early on last week, even though the wrestling was going on, I enjoyed the gift of repentance. For it was a change of my mind, a change of my behavior, a change of direction, a change in my thinking, a change in my prayer life. All that is the result of me just coming to Jesus and submitting my life and saying, this is yours that no longer belongs to me. That's what happens. When you start to let God take control of your life and rip the idols out of your life. And that's, that's a hard issue. And so when we take a look at the, the passage we're, we're looking at in regards to this, you'll remember it from last week. It, it's Mark chapter 12, 29 through 30. And, it's, and it says, And Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord with all of your heart. That's where we were last week. This week, we're skipping a little bit. And with all of your soul and with your mind. And with your strength. When Jesus was asked the question by which he gave the answer for, for this is the answer right here. He was asked the question by one of the young attorneys hanging around, the, the religious leaders were trying to trip Jesus up and get him to say something stupid and do something stupid, but they didn't realize that he was the son of God and uh, he don't do stupid. Everybody else does, but he don't. And, and, and as he's, he's, he's giving this answer to, to the, all these people, when he was done, people are going like, whoa! That just blows my mind. It blew their, it really did. It really blew their mind there because they're going like, oh yeah, 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 that's it. Because what's the greatest commandment? And this is what Jesus says. 
And, and, you know, and he said that. Well, here's the crazy part about it. Because do you know where he got that from? He didn't make that up on the spot. Jesus wasn't like, well, let me see. What can I give him that's going to be really mind-blowing? He went back to what he did thousands of years earlier in the book of Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy 6, that's, that's where the great Shema is presented. Because that's the prayer. This is the prayer that they would pray every day when they got up at night and when they went to bed. Hear, O Lord, our God. The God is one. Love the Lord your God. And on it goes. They would do that morning and night, morning and night, morning and night. That's what God told them to do. That was their prayer. But here, when, when, when Jesus gives this, he throws them a little bit of a curveball. He does something totally unexpected to them. By the way, when, when an author decides that he's going to make a change in the manuscript a little bit later on and change something, it's perfectly fine because he's the one that wrote it. He can change it. And that's what he did right here. Because in the original, back in Deuteronomy 6, when it says to love, your, love God with all of your mind, it's not there in Deuteronomy 6. Jesus added that here in Matthew or in Mark chapter 12. He also, it's also recorded the same way in Matthew and in Luke. When you look at, at this, this part in the synoptic gospels, Jesus added with all of your mind. Jesus put that in there. Before, all they ever thought about was loving Jesus with your heart, with your soul, and with your being. That's what they learned the prayer back in synagogue school on Saturday morning when they went to, you know, to synagogue. They were learning the prayer. They were being taught it at home. And Jesus comes along and he's going like, let's throw one more in there because it's really important for you to get your mind activated and involved in your worship of God. You know, here's what's happened. Over the centuries, they got their heart involved. But their heart, as we learned last week, is an idol factory. And it creates all kinds of stuff that gets in the way of God. And, and then when you go to your soul, that's the part that's supposed to be receptive. And you're stepping in now into the, to worship on, on their worst day of worship. And they're doing all the sacrifices. And your body, so you're giving of yourself. But it had all become rote for them. It had all become just kind of a um, thing that we do. It's like getting up in the morning, brushing our teeth, and and then saying the prayer, and then going off. It's kind of like, you know, um, the prayer that we pray at dinner time. If it's continually the same thing, it really loses its meaning over time. We forget that we're talking to God, and we just do it because we've always done it. And that's what happened. And so Jesus is bringing, and he's throwing a curveball at the whole crew. And he's going like, here's what I want you to see about this. Now, the, the reason why God or Jesus is telling us to engage your mind and your intellect in this worship of me and love me is because it's dre- connected directly to the heart. And I really think that that's what James was getting at. And we looked at this verse last week, but I'm bringing it back so that you can see this in James chapter 4, verses 8. Verse 8, it says, Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you what? Double-minded. You see, the heart and the mind are connected right here. And, jo- and James is just picking up on what Jesus said about loving God with God with all of your mind. What's a double-minded person look like? A double-minded person is the person who is coming to church 
and hangs around with his Christian friends and, and says all the right things, does all the right things, and, and does everything that they think is necessary to be accepted by his church crowd. But yet when they're hanging around with other people who aren't from the church, they act nothing like the people they hang around with with the church people. We call them two-faced. Might be a different way of saying it. We call them maybe hypocrites. Because they say one thing and do something different. Actually, the word hypocrite really wasn't, wasn't a derogatory word until Jesus. Jesus made a lot of things kind of cool. I have a shirt at home. I should have worn it. I will. I don't know if I maybe got rid of it. It said right across here in big white letters, it's a black shirt. Maybe you've seen me wear it before. It says, I'm a hypocrite. Because what a hypocrite is in the, in the New Testament was an actor. Someone who would come and play the role of someone who they really weren't. They would act. And that's what we're talking about when we're talking about double-minded, two-faced, or a hypocrite. Is someone who says that they are one thing and they, they kind of play the role of that person. But when, they're, when nobody is looking, they're totally somebody else. Double-minded. That's what it means to be double-minded. When it comes to living a holy life for God, there's no way a person can be knowingly practicing in sinful behavior. And what is sinful behavior? Let me boil it down so that you understand this. I mean, when it says, what's the greatest two commandments? If you were to ask, what's, <laughs> what's the greatest sin? We would say probably the greatest sin is... Um, is denying the Holy Spirit. Well, let me tell you, here's what sin is. Sin can be boiled down to this very simple thing. The Bible says that when we know to do something good and we don't do it, to that person, that is sin. In other words, when the Holy Spirit nudges you and says, I want you to go over there and do that thing, and we don't do it, it's a good deed we could be doing. We haven't sworn. We haven't taken God's name. We haven't stolen anything. We haven't committed a, adultery by lusting after someone. We're not looking at pornography. We're not um, telling lies or gossiping about anybody. We're not doing any of that stuff. It's that we have heard the Spirit of God say, go and do. And we go, nope, not going to do it. At that, that, just that one thing can send you to hell if you don't love Jesus. That's what sin is. When, and, and so when we knowingly are, are stepping away from the thing that God calls us to do. And we say that we have loved God with all of our being. It's not true. We cannot knowingly live a sinful life in front of God. And pretend to be somebody else. And say that we love God. Because what we're doing is we're not engaging our mind in a conversation with God, the Holy Spirit. We're not asking God, where's the place that an idol has crept into my life that I need to deal with, that I need to pull it out by its roots and it's going to hurt. Where I can come to the place of repentance. Do you know how you've, you've repented and, and repentance is alive and well? It's because you keep on repenting. It's a gift that keeps on giving. And it's marvelous. 
Our minds and our hearts are deeply connected. And that's why Jesus gave the call to worship God uh, and himself with your mind. Now, I just want you to know that there are too many religions who don't want you to use your mind. What they do is they give you a list of the things you're supposed to say, a list of the things you're supposed to know. You have all these rules and regulations. You have all the do's and don'ts. You have your list, and that's all you need to know. That's what the leaders tell you. You don't need to know anything else. You just need to know this. No, you don't need to know that. Know this. Do you know this yet? And they keep coming back and saying, do you know this? Do you know this? Do you know this? Do you know this? And and they, they keep pounding it at you. Because when you know the truth, if you know more than what somebody wants you to know, and you start to know the truth about who God is, what does that truth do to you? That's right. You are free. And when you're free, you are free indeed. I mean, it's like really being free. It's like breathing air for the first time. It's like being locked in a stale room for, for days on end, and it's just stinky. And all of a sudden, you get to walk out just after a rainstorm outside, and you take one whiff of the freshness that God put into this earth, and you're like, wow! All my senses come alive at that moment. And I really think that, that what Paul is trying to tell us is, is that that in order for us to really understand and know God, it starts in our mind. Romans twelve two says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now there's a lot of theories, philosophies, religious groups, and of course the internet. You know what it means, right? If it's on the internet, it has to be true. (laughs) And we have all those things out there that are engaging our minds and calling to us. But if we start with the Holy Spirit, we're not going to get swept into a bunch of the stuff that people are telling. I mean, there are so many things that sound true-ish, especially when you start Googling stuff on the internet or you start hanging out with people who, who don't really necessarily adhere to everything that the Word of God teaches. There's all kinds of horse hockey out there that people want you to believe. And I'm telling you, don't do it. Because that's why you've got the Holy Spirit. If you hear the same thing over and over and over and over again, you're going to start to believe it. I mean, it just keeps coming. It keeps coming. It keeps coming. So, just imagine me for every day for a month. I walk in and I say to my wife, Honey, you're never going to believe this. Our mortgage is paid off. We don't owe a red cent. And she'd go, Really? Yeah. Trust me. (laughs) Paid off. The next day I walk into the house, I go, By the way, honey, I just want to remind you, our mortgage, gone. Paid off. And I do that every day for an entire month. And she's going, yeah, 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 yeah. And then she gets the statement from the bank. (laughs) 
And then she gets the statement from Quicken Loans. You lied to me. You have to take that new truck back to the dealership. Not for you, mister. You see, you can try and fool somebody, but eventually, when they do the homework, when they start to investigate something, when they start to look at something, all of a sudden they're starting to go, now wait a minute, that doesn't line up with this, and this doesn't line up with that, and what you've told me isn't true. And what I've experienced and read in the Word of God doesn't make any sense. And so I think you've lied to me, and that's why Paul says that, that we're transformed by the renewal of our mind. Because our mind will absorb all kinds of nonsense. But the Holy Spirit will come along and He will take what is from God and He will renew our minds in Christ Jesus. And, and, and there's nothing better than that. God in no way wants us to be not mindless nut jobs when we come to church and only believe what the leaders tell us to believe. The very reason that we're starting to take, uh, to start every one of our talks on Sunday morning by standing up and receiving is do you, do you see who we're asking? We're talking to the Father and the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. And when you ask the Holy Spirit to reveal something to you, He's not going like, well, only if I choose the right number out of the hat. Oh, sorry. It's a blank. You don't get anything. He's like, every time you ask for him to interact in your life, in your mind, he's going, yeah, baby, I'm going to give that to you. I am going to fill you till you're overflowing with it. And you walk away and you're going like, man, my head hurts, but it really feels good. It hurts so bad, but it hurts so good. Because you're starting to learn things that the Holy Spirit is wanting you to understand and teach you. He wants, he wants you to, to realize that when, when we operate in accordance with what He's calling us to do, we just do so many great things. In Romans 8... Verses 5 through 8, it says, For those who live in accordance to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live in accordance to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You see, what are we talking about here? We're talking about what we feed our mind, what our mind takes in, what we're letting our minds, minds absorb. And, and obviously, when we start to get into the flesh, and by the way, when Paul says that he talks about the flesh, he's, he's, he's not talking about this part of us. He's talking about the natural man or woman apart from the Spirit of God where we're not engaging with the Spirit of God, where we're not asking this, for the manifest presence of the Spirit of God to lead us and to, to give us uh, revelation, to guide our lives. When we don't engage in that way, we're operating in the flesh. And when we're operating in the flesh, we cannot please God.
we, we've, been, we've been given this unbelievable opportunity by God. Because what he wants to do is he wants us to understand that when we operate in the flesh, we find ourselves getting into a world of hurt and all kinds of trouble that we never needed to get into. And you know where it really starts, starts most simply? You know, and and I, I could go back to James, but I'm, not going to, uh, I'm just going to tell you that it is your tongue. It's the words that you say. Your tongue is like a spark that sets a whole forest fire on fire. And you're looking, I mean, you've only said three words when you came home from work. And all of a sudden you're going like, ooh. Hey, honey, I think I forgot something at the office. What, you need my help in the kitchen? Can't I go to the office in the morning? What are we doing tonight? I don't want to do that. Because what happens is, is we have attitudes. We present these spoken words that cut like a knife and they hurt and they deliver and they're meanful and they're mean-spirited. And you know, a lot of times, it's not just the words we say, but it's, it's how we behave when we say the words. It's, the, it's our body language that is also, you know, speaking volumes. Hey, honey, how are you tonight? Fine. You okay? Yes. Anything wrong? No. Do you want to talk about it? No. And what does all that mean? Yes, I want to talk about it. I mean, we all know. I mean, you guys are all going like, oh, shoot. I was there this morning. But you know, uh, Paul, Paul said in the Ephesians, instead let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Put on your new na- nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. I, you know, I, I, want, I want you to notice a couple of things. Let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. We often say silly things like, I'm in a bad mood. Work made me angry today. I don't feel like it because I'm because so-and-so made me mad. I just don't feel like it because, because of whatever else. And you know, the bottom line is, is that we really become like junior high kids and we let our emotions and the things around us and the people around us dictate to us how we're going to behave and how we're going to act and the attitudes and actions we, we're going to present and the thoughts that we have. The bottom line is, is that there is nothing in your life that can make you act like a, a grouchy old man. It doesn't matter what it is. You can, by the Holy Spirit, renew your thoughts and your attitudes. I can't tell you how many times I've sat in the car at my house thinking about what I've had to go through through my day, and I keep going like, okay, God, I do not want to go in there and dump this on the woman that you gave me as my bride, the one I'm supposed to protect and love and care for, the one I'm supposed to love more than myself. I'm supposed to give my life down for her, and what I have to give her right now is nothing but pure poison. I don't want to go in there and give that to her. And I've got the car door of my car 
leaning open, and my daughter's dog that seems to live with me now for four years. <laughs> he comes up to me, and he looks at me, and I go, come over here, and I put my hand down, and he licks my hand, and I pet him, and I sit there, and I pet my dog, and I'm talking to Jesus about all this stuff, and I'm, I'm asking him to change the attitude of my head, my thinking. I've got stinking thinking that needs to be corrected. And I'm asking the Holy Spirit to renew my mind. And I'm sitting there petting the dog. And, and just the other day, Lorinda came out. She came walking out of the house. And I'm sitting there petting the dog. And, and it's my car and then the dog and then her car. And all she sees me is with the car door open. with my, And she can't really see what's going on because all she can see me. And I'm looking at her. And I'm having this conversation with Jesus. And she's looking at me. And I'm looking at her. And I'm petting the dog down here like this. And she stands there and she's going like You okay? Yep. What are you doing? I'm patting the dog. She's like, he heard her. So he went running over. She goes, oh, I thought you were just kind of like, I didn't know really what to think. Maybe you were in Colorado and brought back some. (laughs) But you see, here's where it really comes down to. We should never disregard what the Spirit wants to do in our mind at any given moment. He wants to change our stinking thinking. He wants to take our awful attitudes that are a hindrance to our spiritual development and for our relational development. And He wants to deal with those. And He wants us to say, I love you, God, with my mind and want to continue on with thoughts and attitudes I don't want to continue on with thoughts and attitudes that are contrary to who you are. It's like saying all of a sudden you've had a change of heart and you've decided you're going to start cheering for the Broncos. (laughs) But you still, you still wear Raiders uniforms everywhere you go. Yeah, you see? You're going like, what do you mean you're cheering for the Broncos? You're wearing a Raider uniform. You go like, well, I know, but I still love the Broncos. If you really love the Broncos, what do you do with that Raider uniform? You burn it. (laughs) So here's the thing. If if you really love God, if you're going to love God with your mind, you're going to let the Holy Spirit come in and renew your thoughts And your attitudes, in other words, you're going to take those stinking thoughts, those bad attitudes, right to the the spiritual burn barrel, and you're going to throw them in there. You're going to dump a little gas on it. You're going to stand back about 23, throw the match in, and poof! So you're going to end up with a burnt face, right, Jamie? God does not want us just... He doesn't want lip service. He doesn't want it. But what we have is we have lip service going on all the time. We kind of end up being like like Eeyore with Winnie the Pooh. You know Eeyore, right? Yeah, I mean like it's a bright, sunshiny day out and everybody's happy. And you come up to Eeyore and you go, hey, Eeyore, how's it going? Oh, um, it might rain today. It's a gloomy day and the birds are singing the sun is out. There's one little cloud way off over in the distance. It's a miserable day. Right? That's Eeyore. He, you know, we, we've 
we, we walk around with all the blessings that God has in store for us. And all we can ever do is see the one little cloud way off a thousand miles away. So it's not going to affect us at all. And we go down the path and it's all a disaster. And we're just like you. We can't see anything. When the Spirit renews your minds and your thoughts, your attitudes, there's this new clothing that you get to, get to put on. Did you see that on that verse? Put on your new nature. The Spirit has to deal with the old one. He has to burn that ugly stuff. And then what He does is He lays down the new nature of the Holy Spirit right at your feet. He doesn't put it on for you because the word says put on the new nature. In other words, as with everything that God does, it it is God doing 99% of the work and us doing our 1%. And when we can do our 1%, then there is like this enormous blessing that we receive in our life because we're receiving the benefits of what God has for us. And what is what are the benefits that we have when we take this new clothing that's been given to us? Righteousness and holiness. It says it right there. You didn't create the new nature. You're not the author of the new nature. You are just the recipient of the new nature. You just have to put it on. And for all of you Eeyores go like, Oh, um, I'll put it on today, but what about tomorrow? <laughs> right? I mean, we get off. We're like, woo! You know? And then we're going like, wait a minute. This isn't going to last very long. It's just from God. And I go to sleep at night, and I don't know what's going to happen in the morning when I wake up. I'm a mess. <laughs> what am I going to do? Lord Jesus, help me. And God, in all of his wisdom, said, look, I'm going to give you everything you need not to live a defeated life. He wants you to have victory every day. He wants you to wake up. You know, here's the great thing. When you go to sleep at night, it's not like turning off every light in your house. I mean, you know, some of you have to leave a nightlight on because you have little kids that are... Or your husband that's afraid of the dark, you leave a nightlight on for him. We turn everything off. We get, we don't want to. Now, a lot of people turn the lights off because they just don't want them burning because it's kind of irritating during the night to have the light on. We turn the lights off in the house because we could save three or four pennies, put it towards the mortgage, you know. But when we go to sleep at night, we close our eyes. Now, for those of you that, that can fall asleep quickly, that don't, you know, aren't like that kind of an attitude all night long. When, when, just think about, not when you were a baby, because babies, when, whoever said, did you sleep like a baby last night was an idiot. Because you wake up every two hours because you pooped your pants and you're hungry. So you don't want to sleep like a baby, but you do want to sleep like maybe you're in elementary school because you don't have a care in the world. You play all day. There's food that's served to you. You just think life is great. 
and you eat your food and you're exhausted. You have a bath and you almost fall asleep in the bathtub. You crawl into the bed and before mom and dad can say prayers and kiss you goodnight, you're sawing logs because you're just resting so comfortably. But guess what? Your mind is still active even while you're sleeping. Have you ever thought about asking God when you go to bed at night by his manifest presence of the Holy Spirit to work in your mind while you're catching up on your, while you're recharging the batteries, letting the Holy Spirit work in your mind? Your mind's working anyway. You might as well get the Holy Spirit involved. Try it. I want you to try it this week. I want you to try it and, and then report back to me. Tell me what your next morning was like. What was your life like when you woke up the next morning after you engaged the Holy Spirit in your mind, when you were in your mind worshiping God, loving God when you went to bed, and you're asking the Holy Spirit to participate in your mind? Tell me what your next morning was like. So here's, here's the other thing that happens. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 6. For the weapons of warfare are not flesh and blood. See, here's what we do about tomorrow. When we worry about what we're going to do tomorrow to ward off all those things to take our mind. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised up against the knowledge of God and take cap. And take every thought captive to obey Christ. Being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Now I'm going to tell you something. This will preach. Here we go. See the the weapons that we have. That we fight our war with. That are not of flesh. They're the weapons of prayer. Do, do you get that? At a, at a moment's notice, you don't have to wait for a 911 call. 911, what's your emergency? Can I put you on hold? God's like, you, you go, help. I'm right here. Whoa, that was fast. God is so quick on the spot for whatever you need. He just wants you to call out in your time of trouble. He wants you to come alongside. He's going like, just call me. Listen, I'm going to give you the weapons that you need. And here's what the weapons are. Do you know what the weapon was that Jesus used when he was facing the enemy in 40 days of trial out in the desert? The word of God. Every time Satan came at him, all he ever said is, the word of God says. The word of God says. Here's what God's word says. Here's what God's word says. And what was Satan's response? Tried a new tactic every time. Because every time you use the word of God, it's the truth. He can't stand against it. So that's the weapons that we've been given. We've been given this divine power because the word of God has divine strength. We've been given power through prayer. We've been given the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't just waiting for us. He dwells inside of us. It's not the omnipresent presence of the Holy Spirit. It's the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit. And every day we get up, we go, Jesus, 
I need your manifest presence in my life as I go throughout the day. I'm going to tell you, you just put out the biggest body armor you could ever put on. You got the Holy Spirit walking with you. And, and then it says we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Where are we destroying those things? We're not destroying them down at the coffee shop. We're not destroying them by going and knocking on somebody's door that has a different uh, idea about God altogether. The place that we destroy all those things that raise up against the knowledge of God and the arguments are in our mind. If you don't kill it up here, if you don't destroy those things up here, you will never be able to give somebody the reason for the hope that lies within you because you've never dealt with it up here. And that's exactly what it says right here because it says, and take every thought captive to obey Jesus. It's not those other things, those destroy arguments and lofty opinions raised up against knowledge aren't from somebody else. They're from our own mind that we've allowed to run free in our own mind. And we have been given everything. We have been given the tools to defeat them. And we just take those thoughts. It's really not that hard. You take that thought and you make it obedient to Christ. How do you make your thought obedient to Christ? I'm going to show you right now. Jesus, that thought's going in my head. That's bad. Father, I want to take this thought that I have right now. It's nasty, it's wrong, it's, it's, it's not from you, it's from the devil. And I command you to be obedient to Jesus. That's it. How long did that take in your day? But if you let that thing run free, guess how much of your time it's going to eat up. Guess what other stories it's going to tell in your head. That's just the craziest thing. When we don't take these thoughts captive like we're to, told to and make them obedient to Jesus... We start to create story and fiction in our own mind about something. Somebody, somebody didn't wave at you. Somebody didn't say something to you. Something happened. And so what do we do? We start to create a scenario of lies in our head. They're lies because we don't know the truth. If we don't know the truth, then we don't really know what's going on with the other person or what's happening. And so we create this scenario in our own mind and we let those things and the next thing you know they've got a gun in their back pocket and they're coming to shoot me just from not waving hi to me as they're driving down the street on main street now they're mad at me and they're going to hunt me down and kill me i go home and lock the doors bring the dog in give my wife the gun and i go and hide behind the bed Or here's something else that happens. Our battlefield, the place that has has destroyed our world is our mind, our attitudes and our thoughts. How many conversations have you had in your mind with your spouse where you make your body speak louder than your words or you do this, you come in, and you know it's not going to be a pleasant conversation. Or you know that the conversation isn't going to be like lovey-dovey. I can tell you right now. When my wife needs something right away, and this isn't because she's mad at me or anything, but when she calls me and I pick up the phone and she goes like this, Ken, 
I'm going like, okay, she needs something right now. The house must be on fire. I, she calls me. I pick up the phone. And she goes, hi, honey, how's your day? It's fine, honey, how's your day? Do you need something? No, just checking. Five minutes later, can She really doesn't sound like that. I mean, it's much higher than that. <laughs> but here's the thing. We walk in, particularly with those people we love the most, and there's a conversation that's taking place that we really don't want to have a part of. And what we've learned maybe over the course of being with that person for so long is we've learned how not to say, say something. Just because it's here, it doesn't have to come out here. Right? And so we keep our mouth shut, but we do this. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And all we're really hearing is blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and outward, we're going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But in the inward person, our conversation we're having that we're telling them off right now, you're saying this, mm-hmm, but what you're really saying in your heart is, Oh, for the love of Pete, can't you shut your mouth already? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And inside we're saying, why don't you just get in your car to go to Riverton? <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. You know? And, and we do that thing. We, we just... You know... Or you'd bring in and you go right to the game ender. You say, I don't know. I mean, you only say one thing. Hey, honey, do you know where the $100 is that I left on the coffee table? No, I don't know. And you turn around, walk back to the garage, and you go back and open up the trunk of the car and pull out $100 worth of beer and quickly <laughs> fire it into the refrigerator out in the garage. See, it's in your mind you're saying you, what you just don't want to say out loud because you know if you say it out loud, you're gonna, your house is going to get set on fire and you're going to burn it to the ground. So we have these thoughts and these attitudes and these actions going on in our mind and what Paul tells us is to take those thoughts captive and make them obedient to Jesus. They have no right to run rampage over your house or your mind. You can make them obedient. And that's what living a holy life with God is all about. Is taking those thoughts that are crazy and honing them back in and make them obey Jesus. Because when you do that, then Isaiah 26 comes into play. It says, He will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. When you make those things obedient to Jesus, all of a sudden your mind becomes a really peaceful place. It's a place you're going to want to invite a lot of people to come and party at. I know, your mind is crazy over there. Come join me in my mind. It's cool. God rules here. When God, when God does something in your mind, I'm not kidding, when God does something in your mind, when you make think your, your thoughts obedient to Jesus, when you have this, this calm going on in here in your mind, 
There is a calm that comes out over you over this way. And when you've got this going on this way, it starts to go this way. It comes here. It goes over here. Then it goes out that way. And do you know what people will say about you? That's just the nicest woman I've ever met in my life. And you go, thank you. A.W. Tozer once said, what comes into your mind when you think about Jesus is the most important thing about you. So what do we do? How do we go from here? That's really the big question. I mean, what, what am I... Okay, Pastor Ken, that was really great. That was good. Give me something to hang my hat on. Okay, here you go. Philippians 4.8. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. You want to know how to get your mind engaged into worshiping God? Remember Jesus battled. When he used the word of God, he battled the enemy and the enemy lost. So when you take Philippians 4.8 and you put it to memory and you tell yourself, I'm going to think about things that are true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Then you go back and go, what is true? Jesus is true. Jesus loves me. That's true. Jesus died on the cross for me. That's true. All my sins are forgiven. That's true. Uh, God is preparing a place for me in heaven. That's true. What's honorable? Well, let me see. The Psalms are honorable. They're words that are written to reflect the glory of God. What's right? Well, Jesus is right. He's done right by bringing me a wife. My wife is right. My children are right. What's pure? Little kids are pure. The mountains and all that fresh snow is pure. What's lovely? What's admirable? And you see, all of a sudden, it starts to change the way that you're thinking. What could start off as a really horrible, no good, very bad day can end up being a day that's filled with praise, honor, and glory, and admiration, and adoration to God on high because we have now asked for the manifest presence of Jesus to come and invade this space by fixing my thoughts on who He is, thinking about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. And if you want to love God with your mind, you will have to change the way you think. You will need to let God's word and the Holy Spirit saturate your mind. Listen to what God is saying in his word. And by his spirit, he will give you direction and understanding and clarity. Sometimes we, what we hear, we think is the spirit, may not necessarily be the spirit. So always check it against God's word. If what you're hearing doesn't line up with the Bible, kick that thought to the curb, take it captive, make it obedient to Jesus and to get the heck out of there. But if it does line up with what God is saying, then we can ask God how to live it out in our lives and he'll show you. You will have to start every day with the manifest presence of Jesus walking with you in the mundane things of your life. Starting right today. From this very moment, your first part of of today, right now, is to step in and ask the manifest presence of Jesus to go with you and to take you to deeper places.
even in your sleep. So spend some time in the Word. You're going like, I tried it and it doesn't work for me. I just don't know where to start. This is what I do. I always go like this. (laughs) Go get circumcised. (laughs) Again? That isn't going to work. So knock it off. God never wanted you to do the pick and choose kind of Bible reading. I'm going to give you two suggestions. First one is plant your hindquarters in the in Proverbs. Read one proverb every day. How many proverbs are there? There's 31. There's 30 the maximum days in a month? 31. So when you hit day 30, but there's 31 proverbs, don't go to 31. Go back and start on Proverb 1 on May 1st. What's today? May the 7th? So if if you're going like Oh, I gotta wait till till June to start reading. No. Go to Proverbs 7 and start reading on Proverbs 7 today. Alright. And if you're going like, man, that's a lot of wisdom and I'm just filled to the brim with it. Alright, then then go and, and pick up Psalms. Woo! Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Woohoo! I underline that one. Read just those two spots. Read those two spots. You take the next two months and you read Psalms and Proverbs. Psalms and Proverbs. You read them every day. Just read a little bit. Just read one at a time. But spend some time in God's Word. It's going to change the way you see this world. It's going to change the way you act towards other people. It's going to give you a heart and a mind that is set on praising God. It's that simple. And when you've done that for two months, come and say, where do I need to read now? I've got like, you know, 64 other books I'll plunk you into. I promise not to put you in Ezekiel, Jeremiah, or Daniel. Or Revelation, by the way. Or Numbers. That's not really a fun one. (laughs) But I got some others. They're really great. All right. Here's what I want to do. Um... This isn't really a heavy, you know, kind of like kill your idol thing this week. It's more like engage your mind, which should be, you know, enthusiastic. But I still want to give you an opportunity to come up here to the front when we sing our next song. We're, we're going to, I just want you to, I want you to get used to coming up here and going like, God, you can come up here while we're singing. You want to stand up, you stand up. You want to kneel, you kneel. You want to sit, you can sit. You want to lay down, you go ahead and lay down. I don't care. But you come up here and you go, I want to engage my mind with you. I've done a lousy job of it. And you start engaging your mind. But just come to the front and do that. Just go like, Jesus, I'm coming to the front because I'm telling you, I want you to engage my mind. We want to get used to coming up here because we spend time, you know, we kind of go like, we think we're on an airline flight. You got your seatbelt buckled. And until the last song, we don't let that buckle up. So we're going like, whew. I escaped that one. I was a close call. Jesus almost had me go to the front. <laughs> Thank goodness I had my seatbelt on. Whew, that was scary. All right. Undo your seatbelt. Put your tray up, but undo your seatbelt. Okay. Because Jesus is calling to you. I don't know how he's calling to you, but I know he's calling to you. He calls to me all the time. He calls to you too. So look, I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. You respond to Jesus. Okay. All right.
Father, we just thank you today that you, you want our minds. You want our minds to be engaged with you. You want our minds to think about you. You want our minds to worship you. You want our minds to love you. You want our minds to be fully engaged in every activity of our life with you at the helm. You want us to take those thoughts and, and, and kill the bad ones, destroy them, those thoughts that are going against who you are, and we're supposed to take other thoughts and make them captive and bring them to be obedience to Jesus, but they can only be that way if we've, if we've come first to be obedient. So we ask today that as we sing these songs and we think about who you are, we think about your goodness in our lives, that we need you. We need you every hour. We need you every day. We need you every moment. And it starts right now as we surrender our mind to you for you to work in it and through it so we love you in a deeper way. We pray these things in your great name, Jesus. Amen.